So compared to other federations where you're just getting a, a bikini made and it's all uniform, there's no differences, the price gets up there. And I'm going to be really honest with you about my last two shows because I did a tracking of expenses. Now, this also includes paying for photo shoots, which are often like $1,500, you know, per photo photographer. And then you've got your hotels and accommodation and things. But the last two shows that I have done cost twenty-five to $30,000. Wow. Is bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all, what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. The lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm going to talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug, provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm going to answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, Five Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com. Welcome back to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. I am your host, Michelle Welcome, and this episode continues the podcast series I am doing called Meet the Federations. My goal is for you to learn firsthand all of the different options there are in the sport of bodybuilding by highlighting people in the different federations and having honest conversations about the federation they know best. Today, we are talking all about the WBFF Federation. My guest today, Holly Baxter, has claimed two world championship level wins as a natural fitness competitor. She has been competing with the WBFF as a professional diva fitness model and achieved runner-up in the pro world championships. In addition to talking about all what makes the WBFF different from all other federations, Holly is also a registered dietitian and the co-founder and director of a number of health and fitness related businesses. I expect there to be some, some golden fitness nuggets, Holly, dropped today during the show. So first, let me introduce Holly Baxter to the show. Holly, please take a moment and share a little bit more about your background, your story, about how you got into bodybuilding, and share why did you choose to compete in the WBFF Federation? Yeah. Oh, wow. There's so many nuggets in there. Okay. So uh, let's go back. We've got to go back to be able to go forwards, right? Sometimes you have to have to do that. So um, I guess the reason that I got into bodybuilding and physique competitions is uh, not the normal route. I don't, I don't believe so at least. So um, I had uh, a lot of experience as a kid in sports. I did track athletics. I was a basketballer. I achieved very high level of, uh, I guess, <coughs> track athleticism uh, as a kid. So I competed at the Youth Olympics uh, when I was pretty young. And I think by the time you get to the point where you are um, making some decisions about your career, I had to decide whether, you know, are, are you going to pursue sport 
um, and or are you going to pursue, you know, an education? And because I grew up in Australia, um, the opportunities for females in, you know, any kind of sport really, unless you were considering maybe like NBA level basketball, um, you know, there weren't really very many. And uh, I guess there was a little bit of pressure, I think, from my parents to take the academic route. You know, no one had ever really gone to college in my family. And uh, I guess I, I still felt like I made a good decision and that's what I did. So I uh, got out of my, I guess, hometown environment as quickly as I could. Um, I think I had quite a, a troublesome, uh, I guess, youth. And we maybe will get into that in today's uh, episode. Maybe we won't. But uh, it was really it was really important for me to kind of break away from uh, that kind of environment. So I went and did an undergraduate in uh, food science nutrition, uh, and then I did my master's in dietetics. So it wasn't until maybe like two or three years into, uh, I guess, my career where I'd already had an established um, clinical practice. Um, So I was already like treating patients, um, still doing a little bit of exercise on the side. It was just, you know, I did that for my, my general health and to maintain my body composition. So I primarily did uh, cardio. So uh, back then I was dating a guy at the time and we decided to, you know, move locations, build a bigger gym. um, And I was doing all high intensity like fitness programs. So I was doing boot camps um, probably four or five times a week. Like personally, Uh, I would go to do the gym uh, and do resistance training like maybe once or twice. So that wasn't the priority back then. Um, And I loved running. So I would do like 5Ks, 10Ks. I know it was part of our company company or a group at the time, we would go and do like Tough Mudder, we would do uh, the Winter Warrior Challenges. So I was very diverse, I think, in my fitness, but I also was really unhappy with my physique, um, considering how many hours that I was putting in. And also like, I'm a dietitian, like what's going on? Like, I feel like I should have all the answers to my problems. And it was kind of, I felt really ashamed, honestly. Like now I wasn't overweight. I was like a normal body. In fact, I was probably in the top, you know, 10% of, you know, normal like physiques for females, I guess at that point. But um, it, for the amount of work that I invested in, it just didn't feel very satisfying. So um, a client of mine actually one day whom I was coaching for the IMBA, um, which is an Australian, I guess, well, it's worldwide, but they're in a natural fitness federation. Um, their world championships were coming up in, uh, I guess, the middle of the year. It was January at the time. And she'd said to me, well, you know what? I I don't know whether I'm ready to do this. Like, I I admire your physique. Like, have you ever thought about doing these competitions yourself? And I was like, "Ah, no way. Um, So, you know, 10 years later, I think I've done like 45 competitions. But um, (laughs) yeah, I was like, you know what? Why not? I'll give it a go. And I love to travel. So, The idea of being able to go to Dubai and compete, um, you know, it's something that I kind of liked doing. It meant that I still got to train, you know, it was a business tax write-off back then. So I had to first win a state show uh, and then a national show, which I somehow pulled that out of my butt in like 12 weeks um, and then went over to Dubai to compete for Australia. And that was where I won my first world title. So that was back in 2015, I believe. And uh, from there, I kind of stayed another one year, I think, with that federation, but kind of felt like I outgrew it a little bit. Um, Like I was always thinking like bigger, like, okay, where can I be against the best people and who's got the, like, where's the best competition? Like I'm so competitive. So I landed in, I landed myself in the IFBB and I was competing as a figure by this point. So significantly more muscle mass than I have now. 
um, and a lot more heavier training, a lot more time in the gym. Um, and I kind of got to the point where, you know, it was taking up so much of my time um, to kind of get to the, the mus- level of muscularity that was going to be necessary for a winning physique in at least figure. I was like, you know what? I'm starting to, number one, not like my physique. I think I'm getting too muscular. I can't fit in like cute little clothes anymore. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to wear the little bomber jackets or like something fitted. And it was just really hard to find clothes, to be honest, because I was just <laughs> so broad, but then tiny, tiny waist and like same for my jeans. So I actually decided to scale it back a little bit. And then if I stayed in that federation, um, I guess you had bikini and then you have figure and my physique kind of landed me right in the middle I was too muscular for bikini and not muscular enough to be the best in figure and most of those girls because it's an untested federation um you know that's I I had to make a choice I'm like well I don't want to look like that and I also don't want to put my body through that um like I'm still to this day like a life um a lifetime natural athlete so yeah, I downsized and that was when I found my love for WBFF <laughs> um, because they offered uh, a federation that was kind of in the middle of those two, which was fitness. So different to fitness in IFBB, anyone's listening, they probably know the differences, but for anyone that doesn't, I guess fitness in the IFBB world, there's a whole routine. You get to kind of be extremely jacked and do cartwheels and one hand, one, one hand pushups. <laughs> like they're insane, but that's not what it is in this federation. So it's really just an intermediate level of muscularity. Uh, you're not quite as small as a bikini competitor, but you're not, you know, in this place where you're really, really muscular. So that's kind of where I've stayed. I have now been with the WBFF since 2018 and uh, I have, I guess, placed anywhere from uh, ninth and then all the way through to second and it's kind of bounced and ping-ponged around in between that, you know, top three, top five um, for the last couple of years. So this year. (laughs) And we're going to get into the specifics a little bit more about the WBFF Federation, but I do want to just touch on real quick because I think it was interesting, your journey specifically being a dietitian. Here you are training people before you've even competed. You Mm -hmm. go through all this schooling and here you are a dietitian and you're doing all these boot camp classes. So it seemed like to me there was a disconnect between training and nutrition and a disconnect between training and nutrition and then this thing called bodybuilding. So mm-hmm. is it my understanding that when you're going to school to be a dietitian, that is mm-hmm. there any education on how to combine nutrition with exercise? Um, there absolutely is. And I mean, you can take extra electives as well if that's where you want to specialize. Um, but I think the one thing that a lot of people don't know um, about dietitians is that we aren't actually uh, just training people or um, coaching, counseling, whatever you want to call it, um, with people that are looking to change their body composition. In fact, dietetics was like, I don't think I even really had an appreciation for what it was until I was in the thick of it. Like we can, I mean, there are specialized dietitians that work with um, perineal nutrition, um, uh, I guess, uh, gastroenterology, cardiothoracic, uh, infectious disease, uh, diabetes, renal, hepatic. You know, there's so many different specialized positions that dietitians can nutritionally manage. 
Um, you know, even something as uh, extreme as like a, a, a nasogastric uh, type feeding re- uh, protocol, uh, JEDG feeds, which are, you know, in a case where maybe you've got a, pa- a cancer patient that uh, they've had cancer of the esophagus and they've had part of their esophagus removed. So where um, does bodybuilding fit into all of that? It, isn't that crazy, right? So <laughs> bodybuilding, honestly, the most common, like the common denominator really is it fits in with where you would um where you would work with weight loss patients. And the reality is you don't treat those two people the same. So that's I think that's why fundamentally I have gained the most amount of knowledge for me personally post my education. So I was at school for six years um, and afterwards where I've you know tried to be more specialized in my skill set where I'm reading scientific papers, I'm looking up, you know, overfeeding studies, I'm looking at, um, you know, specific, uh, you know, subjects that are trying to maximize the retention of their muscle mass and um, maximize the amount of fat loss. You know, there are specific studies and there are people that are doing their PhDs specifically on like bodybuilders and or physique athletes. So, you know, it's the ongoing professional development afterwards, which requires a lot of discipline and a lot of, um, you know, added focus where I've learned more about this sport than I have when I was at school, because you have to be generalized when you're going to going to school. Yeah. I mean, and then you're, so your evolution from the INBA, is that the INBA PNBA? Yes. yes, Okay. With the natural Olympia. So anybody out there that's trying to keep all these federations and the acronyms (laughs) straight. So there's the natural Olympia, which is the INBA PNBA. You talked about the IFBB. Did you, are you talking about the IFBB elite? Are you talking about the NPC slash IFBB? So NCEP slash IFBB. So I started out as, uh, I guess, uh, I didn't have my pro card and then I got my pro card and then I, because I hadn't maintained it and I didn't compete anymore, I will have lost my pro card. So um, I guess the Australian, um, I am sorry, the Australian IFBB and NCP, uh, NPC do it a little bit differently. So yeah. um, we kind of use the word IFBB interchangeably because that's where the big shows are and you go and compete at those shows as an amateur. Right. And then you went and competed in places like Dubai. I have to ask, was it okay? I mean, is it is there a lot of female competitors in Dubai? I only ask because isn't there like um, limitations on what you can wear in public? Is that the case? I've never been to Dubai. It's always fascinated me, but I'm kind of questioning about if like, if I was walking out, like you look at your crop top, how adorable you look, if you walked out in a crop top, would you get in trouble? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So would you know you really? what? a lot has changed. So I was in uh, Dubai the first time when it was the first year that as a, as a country, like the United Arab Emirates were allowing um, the sport to take place in their country. So like this was a, a movement. It was, you know, the first time we had, you know, the sheiks there, there were the governors, like it was a big deal. So um, we had, it wasn't a massive show, I think just because it was the first time, there were not really a whole lot of locals competing at that point. There were some, um, but, you know, a lot of the competitors were coming from, you know, other countries. So it was it was a unique experience the first time that I went there. Um, we we definitely made sure that we were covered up and we went out in public. You know, going to the malls like we wanted to go and see the Dubai malls and you know see the Al Arab and the Burj Khalifa. Like, oh my God, these places are amazing. Like the infrastructure and the man-made islands. Like, if anyone hasn't been to Dubai, please put it on your bucket list because 
it was exactly what it was chalked up to be like when I looked at it online. <laughs> so a really cool experience. But um, yeah, we had to be very conservative, like going even going from your hotel pool. Um, you know, if you're walking through a, a lobby, they weren't okay with you just kind of keeping your flip-flops on and your bikini and a throw. Like you had to put your clothes back on. Like I remember my friend and I, um, we got told off. They were like, oh, ma'am, you need to go back and put your clothes on. I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> you're not used to doing that in like, you know, Australia at least. And then in most American hotels, you want to walk to your hotel room in your bathers and your towel. Like you probably do it. <laughs> so the but second so they time. they allowed a show. They uh, did. The show. But did they limit what you could wear? No, did absolutely not. you have to wear not. extra clothes? No, 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 no absolutely <laughs> not. But then it's that was in a private event. So in okay. the venue, you know, they had a big auditorium. You could wear, you know, you wore your beautiful – I love my first bikini. It was amazing. So – but outside you, you had to, you know, put your track pants back on. I remember it was like going and sitting in a sauna. It was so hot. It was like – 60 degrees Celsius or something crazy like that, which is probably equivalent to 145 wow. uh, degrees Fahrenheit. It was like you got off the plane and you're just like, whoo. <laughs> really? Wow, but that's it's, crazy. It's, it's changed quite a bit. I think um, there, I was there last year speaking at uh, one of their, I guess, big health and fitness expos. And it was significantly more flexible. I think they've kind of adopted more of the westernized culture. You know, people are walking around in the shorts and T-shirts. There's a lot more Westerners and expats there as well. So um, I think there are certain communities where, you know, it's probably not as appropriate. But, I mean, some of the women and the ladies that train, they're still, you know, Muslim. They still are head to toe. They're covered up in their outfits, but that's how they train. So the sport is being encouraged, but it's probably more prominent amongst males. Sure. Sure. And then you talked about the, so the experience in, in Dubai, but you talked about your experience in the IMBA, PNBA, IFBB. So you migrated over the WBFF and loved it. What would you say would be the biggest difference in the experience from the show as an athlete? What would you say is the biggest difference between the WBFF and your previous experiences in the other federations? I love the WBFF. <laughs> I think that, you know, over over the years, um, and again, this is probably as my personality um, has transfolded or transcended, it's like I used to have this very, you know, tough exterior, and I think I was raised like that. It was, you know, nothing is too hard, you're extremely disciplined, like you just have this, um, you know, go hard, go home mentality. So when I first started, um, you know, there were certain elements of the show preparation, there were certain elements of the show day that kind of just felt rough around the edges, you know, whereas nowadays I've really tried to embrace my femininity and uh, particularly if I reflect back on being a figure athlete, um, that did not get to express my femininity or it certainly didn't feel like it at all because there was like a high level of muscularity. Um, the posing was extremely masculine. You know, you're kind of doing your front poses, which are some in some ways similar to the males. Look at those lats, um, girl. <laughs> I thought we'd try to shrink them down. I haven't trained my back for a while. But, you know. The, the We're WB so opposite. <laughs> I'm, I'm like rowing my lats and shoulders. I'm excited oh, for you? some muscle. Yeah. Oh, look, I think I would say I'm the I'm the odd bot. Most people that I work with are trying to build. I am, I've kind of done the full circle. I'm like, mm, I've been there, done that. You know, it's, I have a different life now. But the WVF, it just feels a lot more feminine. And to be honest, the only way that I can describe it 
as an Australian not growing up in the pageant world Mm. is that it's like a bodybuilding pageant. (laughs) So, you know, the World Championships is the only event that I do personally now, but I still coach girls for all of the shows. But, you know, the World Championships, you have, you've probably been there, right? You have your um, first day of registration. There's a media day. Um, Then there's a a kind of a day in between where you're doing all of your photo shoots. Um, Then there's the red carpet event. And you just get to be a girl. Like, you know, you're wearing a ball gown at all of these events and you get to wear whatever you want. And for my category, you know, the fitness category, uh, the divas get to wear not only a bikini for one of the rounds, but the whole experience for the second round is a theme. So, you know, I have done all kinds of crazy, you know, fun uh, theme wear over the years. Like I used to love Japanese anime when I was a kid. So I went as Sailor Moon one year and then I've been as a warrior princess. And last year, I don't know what I was, but, <laughs> you know, you, you just get to have fun with it. And it feels so girly. And I think um, that has enabled me to kind of, you know, I still have such an appreciation and passion for the discipline of, you know, and the process where you can apply yourself and you can make change. Um, but then there's also the other part of me that always felt like it was missing in these other organizations, which was, I still feel kind of manly. Like there's no, you know, it's, you get 10 seconds on stage and that was it. Whereas this federation, it feels a lot, there's a lot more community. Uh, it feels a lot more feminine. And I think, you know, we're embracing, they're embracing the role of the world of social media. Um, you know, they've got a magazine that they have, um, for the girls. They, um, there's a lot more just general connection, I think. So that's one. I think that's very important to notate what you talked about. So specifically leading up to the show is very distinct difference with the WBFF. So it's not just, okay, we're going to register. We're going to show up in our pajamas and we're going to walk up to the table and we're going to get with our first coat of tan pale white face, maybe just a little (laughs) spray coat in the bottom, definite (laughs) pajama action, walk up to the table, get my number, scoot on through, go lay down, put my feet up. So that's definitely not the experience that you're going to get with the WBFF. So Holly, what happens when you show up to the competitor meeting with the WBFF? Oh my God. It's, it's a hoot. Um, first off, I've always had at least one or two wines because it's the evening time usually. Um, so in fact, most of the girls have, we've been somewhere and had dinner and we're rocking our most amazing, uh, I guess, ball gowns. Um, there is uh, photographers there, you're doing social media, you're all glammed up. Like you're connecting with women that you've never met before. Um, and then they have a, a great big old, um, I guess, welcome to the athletes um, meeting. And that meeting is not sitting in your pajamas. You're sitting there with your crowns. There's uh, awards that are given out to different categories. Um, you know, some of the people that are like most influential and supportive to the industry or to the federation. There's teams and team awards, coach of the War, coach of the year awards, and then of course, you know. Alison and Paul get up and they said so they're the owners of the Federation. They'll do some kind of, um, you know, a big speech. And it's really just to kind of make you feel special. Um, and then also remind you that this is a competition and let's get after it. Let's, let's be 
let's be gracious in the way that we handle ourselves. And um, but it's also a competition, so let's let's go. <laughs> so is that the case? So I know the World Championships. That's like the Super Bowl for the WBFF, kind of mm-hmm. like the Olympias for the IFBB. Yeah. So there, this this lead up to the show day is really quite extensive. Now, the what about like the regional shows? Is there is there still this type of setup before those shows as well? Are you still showing up looking homeless or are you expected to show up looking ready to, you know, take a photo? You are not showing up looking up homeless anywhere (laughs) with anything to do with the WBFF. I think if Allison or of course, like I'm even nervous, like if I'm staying in the same hotel room as they are for that regional show I'm like I hope they don't see me if I'm like sneaking down to get a workout in or something because there's the expectation that you are there representing that federation you're playing that part um and you know they they have standards so the registration still at these regional meets um you still come in a gown and that was the memo that I missed the first time I ever did a show Uh, I got there thankfully I had a a beautiful dress but it was one that I just had I think I was in Thailand and had a nice dress made because I saw something on a movie so you know it was unique and custom but it was not covered in glitter and beads and diamantes so um you know I think from there after 2019 I I changed my tune I definitely made the effort to uh to dress up and and uh you know do what the federation does best and it is like glamour it's fashion it's fitness it's beauty and they've really carved themselves as that in the industry. I, when I started with it, I actually competed with WBFF around 2011, 12, mm-hmm. 13, those, those years. And that's when the clear shoes were still, you could still wear clear shoes in the figure oh. division. Um, the athlete meeting, you were expected to wear a dress, but it definitely wasn't a ball gown. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I believe bodybuilding was still a part of the acronym in the WBFF. Mm-hmm. And they changed at some point bodybuilding to the world beauty like they really moved away from being considered bodybuilding wheelhouse for uh federation options and really migrated towards that whole beauty fashion show runway victoria's secret meets runway meets fashion meets i don't know glam right Mm -hmm. so that change is something that has really evolved over the years and your experience now is um, wherever you go, you're expected to have some sort of like what representation of the Federation. Do they, do they give the like guidelines out to you guys or is it just whisper? Yeah, no, they do give you guidelines. Um, I don't think that they're as um, clear as what they are when you get there and you see, like it does, it, it nowhere does it say you need to spend a thousand dollars on a dress with uh, glitter. But when you see the other people, it's like, I think you just, you're encouraged and inspired to do that too. So I think the girls have probably, you know, participated and enabled the growth of this beauty and this glam. Um, but it, but it's fun because where, where else? I mean, at our age, I mean, I'm 33. Where, where do I get to dress up maybe aside from New Year's Eve in a ball gown and, you know, truly like embrace that? So it's just not something that you kind of do every day. But um, yeah, I guess the, the, the Federation has come a long way. Um, and I think that there's still an element obviously of bodybuilding, you know, that, um, it, there's a lot less emphasis on that, I think, mm. um, especially for the, the bikini, um, girls, but at the same time, like your presentation, um, you know, is, is a big part of the judging criteria and, 
your body is part of that judging criteria. So that's why we still have different, um, you know, divisions. There is your bikini fitness, there's still figure, and those girls are extremely muscular. Um, so there's definitely still a focus on the physique. So to me, it still feels like I get to train and do the same thing. It's just that I've had to prepare um, mentally for those weeks as an introvert, believe it or not. I'm the extroverted introvert, I guess. Um, like that's, it's such a, a lot for me, like having to be that social and be on, mm. um, it can be challenging. So if that's not you, maybe the other federations are better because you can kind of enjoy the process of building and muscle and being in the gym and pushing yourself to your limits. Um, but then you get to retreat into your hotel bedroom and just hang out and not have to talk to anybody. So look, I guess it depends on your personality type, but, um, yeah, I, I really love it. I, I don't know that I, I consider going back to bikini, um, because it's a bigger federation. And again, my reasons for competing are business and for sending a message and when I do that, I had to think, you know, which is the best business decision for me? Should I work with WBFF, um, which kind of fulfills a little bit of my my preferences for being feminine and the glitz mm. and the glam, um, but it doesn't have the same, you know, uh, robustness because it hasn't been around for as long as the IFBB uh, or the NPC. So 2007, I, I think, is when they started, right? Yes. WBFF yes. started 2007. Yeah, so it was it was in the it was in the late, you know, before we got to 2010. Yes. <laughs> so I wasn't I wasn't around then, but I know that it was definitely the, the latter part of the I guess the 2000s. Well, let's so. talk about those different divisions. So let's go through for the audience, the different divisions for the women and the different options for the men. So mm-hmm. might as well start because you'd mentioned uh, Diva Fitness, you mentioned bikini. And for people that are listening, they may not even know what are the options for the WBFF and the women. So let's start there. So yeah, bikini so, you have, go ahead. Yeah. So bikini is, uh, I guess, your least muscular of the categories. So um, you still get to, obviously, there's still an element of exercise that goes into this. Um, and over the years, I think what the Federation is has defined um, a bikini competitor, competitor uh, has changed quite substantially. Uh, if we go back just five years, I mean, like Lauren Simpson, my girl from Australia, you know, she was up there, Rachel Simpson, um, Rachel Simpson, my goodness, I'm thinking about my musicians, um, Rachel, what's her Dylan. Oh Dylan, yes. Yep. Uh, Rachel Dylan, um, you know, they're very different physiques, but two years in a row like that their body composition was extremely different so the bikini girls are in my eyes like they're they're the ones that I look at and go oh my god you're so beautiful like you know they're they remind me like they've just been plucked off the beach or the runway they're like naturally beautiful not that there aren't naturally beautiful women in the other categories but to me they're they're more feminine so they've got more curves they don't need to be as muscular um, you know, these girls were like made for runway, you know, they're just girly, girly girls. So I kind of don't fit in that category, even if I didn't want to train anymore, because I've just, I grew up sporty and I'm a scientist. <laughs> so, uh, it's just a weird combination, but so that's, that's one of the categories. There's a transformation category as well. So they're really trying to incentivize people 
to, you know, change their life. And so these are people that might have started out at, you know, 250 pounds for a female, maybe more, um, and they've really had a, a radical change in their life. Maybe something crazy has happened and, you know, now they're in this position where they're going to take back their lives. And that is more the testament um, and the testimonial. Like they bring these people back out, they share their stories, they bring up their pictures from, you know, before and after. Um, and that's 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 a really nice category. And they have that for men and women. Um, we actually had somebody that used our books uh, just last year who I was I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, at the event and uh, his name was Michael. And just hearing those stories, like give me like goosebumps, I get goosebumps just thinking about now, like he had a major health issues and then changed his life. So that's a cool category. Um, they also have, uh, I guess, the sports model uh, category for men. Um, and uh, I guess these guys get to come out in like, I'm going to call them budgie smugglers because that's what they are. What do you guys call them? Speedos. <laughs> We call them budgies, buggles. Yeah, the trunks, the swim trunks. (laughs) Probably the more professional. That's the board shorts, right? It's not board shorts. It's trunks. You're showing your legs. Yeah, you've got to see the whole package, the legs. This is the the men's model division. So I guess if we're, we'll sidestep a little bit. So we've got the bikini division for Mm -hmm. women, uh, which is the least amount of muscle, Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the male model category, which is the mm-hmm. least amount of muscle in the men's category, the transformation category, which mm-hmm. is available for both the men and women. And then we, and then, well, before we move on, so what are the requirements? So on stage, you've got for the women, you've got a two piece round. You mm-hmm. cannot be wearing clear heels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of different rules. And again, it changes depending on which category you're in. So for the bikini girls, um, there are two rounds. There's the bikini round and then there is an evening gown round. So uh, the girls come out uh, with both of those um, over various time points over the the show uh they're judged on their overall stage presence they are judged on their um body composition for the bikini round uh and then they're like a total package um so the girls there there's less emphasis there on you know being muscular so there are certain requirements about shoes they do uh have i guess certain um uh, dress and des- dressmakers designers that they recommend that you use Um, You're not allowed to use, um, I guess, hair and makeup outside of the federation. So you you book through the organization, unlike some of the other other federations where, you know, you can do your own makeup. You can do your you can create your own gowns. You could do them yourself. You could do your own spray tans. You could do your tanning at home in other federations. So with the WBFF, there is a requirement that you are using all of their services and their products. Um, and then there's obviously uh, incentivization to work with their designers as well. So that's the bikini uh, division. Um, you mentioned a couple of things about like the different shoes. Um, you're correct in that. Um, that is like a generic um, ruling. There are also, I guess, in the know uh, bits of information if you're, you know, friends with the Dillettes or you're more, more involved in the Federation. Um, you kind of know what they like. And this is a very subjective sport. So or a competition, I should say. It's not necessarily a sport. 
So um, you kind of play to those things and that's why it can be beneficial to work with coaches uh, and people that are heavily involved in the federation because you're going to get some of that inside information um, that other people that are brand new might not know about. So those things aren't necessarily stipulated, but I think we all have our personal preferences. So um, it can make it a little bit challenging, I think, if you want to go in and be your authentic self. Um, you know, you're risking potentially not appeasing what they like, whereas the other federations, you know, it's all uniform. There can be no differences. You're all wearing the same style of bikini or suit. You're wearing the same shoes. Um, so it's a little bit more, um, I guess, clear cut. The other thing to consider with uh, this federation, and this goes for all of the different divisions for females, is that there is no set um, posing routine. So unlike the bikini girls um, in the IFBB or MPC, you know, there is a very um, specific way, a specific walk, typical posings, how you do it, you know, whereas you get ultimate freedom in this federation. You can do whatever it is you want. Now, there are certain things that are frowned upon, and usually it's just anything that's overly provocative. Um, you know, there I've seen people with their, you know, their first time, they're not trying to be provocative, but they didn't realize that when they do their legs really wide apart and look back over their shoulder, you know, it's just not a good look. So, you know, there, there are certain things that are encouraged and that's all described in, you know, the uh in the the guidelines for the competitions so that's kind of the, the, the bikini I guess moving into the fitness girls which is what I do like I mentioned before we're a little bit different again so we come out in our bikini round and again it's completely whatever it is you want to wear uh, and then there is the theme wear round so you have ultimate freedom to choose whatever you like um, and I guess the more creative and the more bombastic one, what's the other word? Bombastic. Yeah. Bombastic, uh, the better. <laughs> so the downsides of that are that it can be quite expensive. So compared to other federations where you're just getting a, a bikini made and it's all uniform, there's no differences. The price gets up there and I'm going to be really honest with you about my last two shows because I did a tracking of expenses now, this also includes paying for photo shoots, which are often like $1,500, you know, per photo photographer. And then you've got your hotels and accommodation and things. But the last two shows that I have done cost twenty-five dollars to $30,000. Wow. All said and done. And now I did see that you did it. You were very open about one of your roads to the world championships. And you had mentioned that you spent like $6,000 on your theme wear alone, mm-hmm. right? So that's only 6000 where did the rest go? <laughs> so <laughs> let me, let me just tell you. All right. So a pro again, now you don't, I'm, I'm a pro. I've been doing this for a long time and I've been in the Federation for a long time. So I'm probably one of the more excessive, but I know that there are girls that have spent twice as much money as that, but these are like, you know, they're, they're celebrities almost. So their income is substantially different to the average person. But um, for an entry level bikini, this is for any of the categories, you're probably looking at about $800 just because they are, they've got to have some glitter and glam. Um, now if you're a sewer, no, it's, it's not too bad. 
for entry level. I mean, if you were competing in other like NPC or, or OCB yeah. or any of the other federations, that's pretty comparable. 800 bucks is reasonable. You can probably get away with four to 500, 800, you'd have a little bit more stones. So that's not too bad. So that's the two piece. Okay. Yeah, that's the two piece. Um, and then if we stick with the bikini, I mean, for the pros, um, if you're really wanting to stand out and wow people, um, you know, obviously you're paying a price for the materials and then also the level of experience of the designers. So um, my bikini recently, I believe, was about $1,200, I think, which I thought that was pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Um, it, it was simple. For couture, but for yeah. elaborate. That's not too bad. Okay. Uh-huh. It's the theme wear and then the gowns that get expensive. So keep in mind, I said for world championships, there are three big ball events, gala events. So we have the media day, which Allison will choose the theme um, a a couple of weeks before. um, And then you have to wear a gown that matches that color scheme. So if it was like in 2021, it was, um, you know, a night in Paris. So everybody was wearing black, you know, with the, the, the gloves and the beautiful, um, you know, headpieces and things. So, you know, a gown like that can be very expensive. I think mine were, I, I borrowed mine off a friend, thankfully. Um, but you know, in recent years, 2022, I think all of my gowns, the three different ones, which was media day, registration day, and then there was a red carpet, I believe I had. So those three gowns, together cost about $6,000. Now I could have probably gone to, um, you know, some of the online shops like Sheen or I don't know, Opoly and looked up ball gowns because you can get some of those under, you know, a hundred dollars. But when you get to the pro level and you see what everybody else is doing, you can't really get away with that anymore. Um, because they're so custom, they're so extravagant, um, and that's kind of where, like, I if I could choose to get away with a, a cheaper dress and it fit me well, awesome. But we're also dealing with more muscular women now that have different bodies to the average body that you'd buy those types of gowns from. So I've always had to have mine customized because I have lats and because I have big glutes and, you know, things just don't fit the same way that they do, um, you know, a a less muscular physique. So the gowns were seven, um, let's say the bikini was 1500 and then my theme wear, um, is where it gets really pricey. So an entry level theme wear for, uh, a novice competitor probably starts at about $1,500. Um, and then my most expensive theme where I think was about 5,000. Um, but it had like, I, first off we've got, that's me including like the packing, the shipping, getting it on the plane, paying for a little bit extra. Like I'm lumping this all into transporting this big thing. Um, but it came to probably about $6,000. Uh, and I know girls that have spent up to 10 <laughs> because they've got like trains that are from Gucci. <laughs> that are like, I don't know, a whole stage long. So So it's the um, theme wear really. And if you're new listening to this and never mm -hmm. competed in the WBFF, wouldn't you think that you might be a little bit scared to hear these numbers? Like $30,000 for some people is like a year's salary. Yeah, I know. Is there a way to do it on the budget? Or do you think that you really, you want that competitive edge, you really need to up your game and show up with, can't be showing up with the, you know, Macy's dress off the rack. 
Right. You know? So yeah. I think that, I think that you can. I, I really do. Um, I'm speaking as somebody that's um, you know a professional that's been in it for a while. Um, I do have a higher income, so it makes it easier for me to commit to these big glamorous things. But I also know that there are plenty of competitors that I have coached and that I have competed alongside with um, that they are either very, very, very good uh, like seamstresses or they can sew well or that's their job. Um, So they've been able to create their own costumes and their own theme wear. Um, Then, you know, somebody that can help you out that, you know, can do these kinds of designs and they're just charging a lower rate. Maybe they're kind of new to the industry. I know one year I brought in uh, Cindy Lou, who was my last two year um, theme wear designers. But because I introduced her to the Federation, she did me a huge favor because now she does so much. She does all the girls. She's traveling to more shows than I travel to. So if you can find uh, somebody that doesn't necessarily um, isn't aware of the Federation, that's new to, you know, costume design, maybe they're coming straight out of design school. Um, you can probably get somebody that will charge significantly less Um, But it's if you go to the Federation's designers, um, uh, Renata, she's a lovely, vibrant, big personality lady. She does most of the theme wear and she has a team. She's from the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she she does resell some at a lower cost, which absolutely some of these are beautiful. I mean, I've worn mine once and I'm like, what am I going to do with these? I mean, Halloween's coming around, but (laughs) where else am I going to wear it? So New Year's. Yeah, New Year's, exactly. (laughs) So that's my ball gown. So, you know, you can you. So you can get secondhand uh, costumes for sure. So I don't want to scare people away by saying that you have to be able to spend 20 or 30 grand. But, um, you know, if you're with them for long enough, it, it's kind of you, you get pulled in a little bit because, it, you know, it's just fun. So you can take it as far as you want, but you can certainly do it um, on a lower budget. And I think you could easily do it under 5,000 for a year. If you're doing worlds, that is. If you've got three three gowns because you're a bikini competitor and you need to have a gown that's different from the other two for the feet, for the gown wear, um, and your bikini, um, and all of the Federation entry fees, like it's about $550 per, um, per division that you compete in. So if you're going to compete in open 35 plus and, you know, another, you can do that. Um, but it's a $550 fee per um, category. Uh, and then there's also a fee, a member's fee. And then you've got to keep in mind that you do have to use the show um, makeup, hair makeup artist, which is about $350 for one like event. So if you're also doing theme um, photo shoots, you know, you probably want to use them again. So it can add up. But now that $550 per division. Okay, per entry rather, and then also the hair and makeup, and they want you to use all of that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so? That so five fifty for an entry. Why do you think the pricing is a little bit higher than maybe other federations? Just just to enter the show, and why do you think they require you to use the hair, makeup, and tan that they um, put out that they recommend? Well, I, I think other federations have started to do more of that. You've got to use these types of tans, um, but the hair and makeup is different. But I think this is such a unique. Um, a federation. I mean, they're, they're not like anybody else. It is a pageant. Um, and they're also a business, you know, these companies have to make money. So, um, I'm the first person to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to judge because I'm a business owner. I'm a small business owner. I own several companies. 
um, you know, you, you need to be able to put on these events and make a profit. So keep with that in mind. Think about what the hiring cost is to hire in Las Vegas, a big runway, you know, a, a, a whole amphitheater that you would see at a, at a show. Like that's going to cost a lot of money just to find a venue. Then you've got your DJs and the light setups and you've got to build a stage. Um, and I don't know what their back end costs are, but I'm imagining that like all of their hair and makeup artists, maybe they're getting compensated in some way as well. Um, you know, so I think there's an element of this is a grand, like a big old grand, um, event. Um, you know, it's a lot of people's time and effort go into it and it's something really special. So I, that's why I think that the fees are a little uh, higher than maybe some of the other federations because it's just you feel like a princess. Is it quality control for the hair, makeup, and tan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was so we went over bikini. We talked about transformation. We talked about diva fitness model, and then there's two other divisions. One being relatively new to the WBFF. There's uh, the diva wellness model, mm-hmm. and then there's also diva figure model. Mm-hmm. So what can you share about what are the requirements for each of the divisions, maybe what the look of those divisions are like compared to the ones that you just talked about? Absolutely. So I'll jump up to figure because that makes the most sense in order in my mind. So figure is the most muscular of all of the ladies categories. So now we're looking at women's physiques that are um, probably on par with the IFBB figure girls. Um, so they're extremely lean. It is also the leanest category. Um, and yeah, the most muscular. Now, the cool thing about the figure girls though, in this federation is that they still have the same rules as we do. Uh, you get to create your own, um, I guess, uh, posing routine. You're not kind of stuck in the figure poses that you would be doing or required to do in the IFBB. Um, you also get to customize your outfits as well. So the figure girls only do their one bikini. They're not doing theme. I don't recall. Maybe I'm lying. I don't believe they do theme. I believe um, the pros, at the, I think the pros do now with the world championships. There's a theme. I, okay. I probably These are, It's kind of a moving target. I know like for some of the local promoters might still have for figure, some of the traditional looking suits versus mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. larger shows or the ones put on by Paul and Allison Dillette, who are the owners of the Federation will definitely be more in what you would expect similar to the diva fitness model. So I do think you mm-hmm. need to check the, with the promoter of the show to kind of cross-reference what the requirements are. But yeah, I do believe for figure they do have in the pros only, I think they have the theme wear now. Is mm-hmm. the theme wear, have you seen them to be very elaborate? They're, well, I mean, I this is how much I don't know because I haven't competed as a figure competitor. But And we're, when we're backstage, you don't get to see what's going on at the front of the stage. And I have never coached a figure competitor. So this is, this is honestly not really my area of expertise, but um, based on our costumes and theme wear, I can only imagine that they are just as elaborate uh, as they are for uh, the fitness girls. So again, it's a little bit, if you choose to do figure, if you are a more muscular female and you're used to kind of dieting in a more aggressive form and getting extremely lean um, as per, you know, the IFBB or MPC, um, then that would be, um, you know, a good category to put yourself in. So they are, they are on, on par. 
the only difference really in my mind is that you just get to have that extra, um, you know, expression of yourself. You can customize that posing routine. You can be, you know, extremely muscular, but, you know, be sexy at the same time. So that's the the difference really between um, the fitness and the figure. You don't really see the figure girls promoted. Do you notice that? Oh, it probably depends who you're following. I think number one, there's a lot less of them. <laughs> there's a lot more bikini girls. Um, you know, it's it's not as it's not as difficult um, to get to that level of uh, muscularity for a bikini or a fitness as it is for figure. Um, I think that's why we would tend to see, you know, across all federations. Um, there are fewer competitors generally in figure because it's just a lot more challenging to get there. And certainly um, if you're planning on being a natural competitor. So again, our federation isn't a tested federation, but there is like for the figure girls, like this is performance enhancing drugs are being utilized to get to that shape. Now there are some, I don't want to speak for all because I do know there's a couple of girls that are natural figure competitors and they give it a good shot. Now, they're not winning because they just aren't as impressive, but still extremely impressive for, you know, natural competitors. So there's a combination of, um, you know, enhanced and then natural uh, in our federation. I do have to say that the no matter what division, the quads, whether it's bikini, fitness model or figure, I would say from my observation, the quads, they're, they're, they're all beautifully shaped, solid legs. Like we're not talking in the bikini. I mean, yes, the least amount of muscle relative to diva fitness mm-hmm. model and figure, but like these girls had some sweeps, like you got some nice shape to the quads and diva fitness, man, the cuts that you have in the shape in those quads. Mm-hmm. And I would have to agree the size, the overall size of the girls in the figure division are just um, way more muscular than mm-hmm. all of the other divisions. So it is still a distinct difference between mm-hmm. each of the categories and finding out which one fits for you best for you. I kind of found myself being an in-betweener too, where um, I had the separation, the density and the amount of muscle and the uh, symmetry for figure but this was the time when Emily Sterling was competing. And if you remember Emily Sterling, she was super jacked. I mean, those legs, her calves alone were like boulders. <laughs> she was in, so, so again, that impressiveness this mm-hmm. is definitely, I would say, a really distinct thing for figure. I think your, your spot, that was a really great way to describe that division. So, yeah. And then there's wellness. What's wellness for you and what your experience so far with it? So the former world championships, and honestly, this is there. The people that are winning the world's events are usually the athlete that you are trying to aspire to. Now, how that plan pans out at the local shows is always a little bit different. So it can be tough, I think, to know exactly what to uh, strive for um, if you're doing a local show or you're competing as an amateur. But um, I think the the girls that have been awarded, um, you know, first place in this wellness category, in, in my mind, they're like the Latinas. They, these are the girls that have very petite, still upper bodies, but they're very lean. And they've just got these glorious glutes, these glorious thighs, like their lower bodies are like, I will never be like that, period. <laughs> like I've had to work so hard to get my quads. Um, and I know I could work a little bit harder and maybe grow them a little more if I wanted to. But like these are the girls that are genetically gifted racehorses in the glutes down. <laughs> so, I love the word glorious. You have glorious <laughs> glutes. <laughs> yeah, it rolls off the tongue. So uh, <laughs> that is 
my understanding of the wellness category. Um, I've seen a slightly softer physique awarded. I've seen a very hard physique awarded. So Yurashna was, uh, I guess, prior to her moving over to, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, um, but prior to her moving to the IFBB to be a wellness uh, competitor, um, she was the girl that everyone was kind of like looking to for guidance around that that category. But I think it is evolving. I'm, I'm sure that the Federation is still trying to kind of really narrow down exactly what, what they like. But I think, again, it is a subjective sport. So my recommendation for women is that if you know where you look best and where you feel best and where you're naturally the most confident in yourself, then that should be where you compete. Um, and your physique might be a little bit different to, you know, the past winners of these categories. Um, but if you've got like this natural beauty about you and you're in wellness, you might not have the biggest, uh, most glorious glutes and, you know, thighs. But if, if you, if your eye is drawn to that competitor because they've got this stunning outfit and they look so graceful in their movement, like that might be awarded over, you know, the person that does have the most shredded or, so I shouldn't, shouldn't use that word. I don't think they're looking for shredded. They, they don't have necessarily the, the, the leanest glutes or the biggest glutes um, or lower body. It's just they're looking for overall appearance and stage appeal. So I think one of the things that I have learned to accept in this federation is that uh, I could come in and have done my absolute best and I think that I know what the, the judges are looking for for that category and someone else could win. And it might be because the color of their bikini, they liked it better. And again, personal preference. So again, that's, I think, where the value comes in of kind of knowing, you know, the, the coaches and the competitors that have been competing for a while and being part of that federation. Like then you get to know, um, you know, the, the judges and the owners um, and it may give you an advantage. And let's talk about that for a second, the judging criteria. Before we move on to the men's divisions, we will talk about the men. So if you are anxiously waiting to hear about your division, mm-hmm. we will get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to talk about because the judging criteria, according to what I've seen in their website, is 40% of your score is based on marketability. 40% is based on your physique. And 20% is your stage presence, poise, and confidence. And this is across all the divisions, even the men's divisions, with the exception of the muscle male muscle model category, which is 60% physique and 40% marketability. So basically, all of the women's divisions, the, trans, the, um, the male model division, all are 40% marketability, 40% physique, 20% stage presence. So let me just reiterate, that's 60% has nothing to do with your physique. So how on earth do you even prepare? Because sixty percent has nothing to do with your physique. So if you're going, if you're coming from another federation, whether it's a drug tested federation, OCB, WNBF, Fitness America, you're going from uh, NPC, IFBB, INBA, all these other federations, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you show up to a show, with the exception of Fitness Universe. Let me correct myself on that one. If you show up to a show where like sixty percent of your score is marketability, how do you even know what to prepare for? 
Yeah, it's a bit of a transition. Um, I remember the first time that I uh, competed um, as a, you know, any other federation where it is physique and maybe a bit of your appearance. Um, I was trying to do my peak week protocols and I'm like, how on earth am I going to do my peak week protocols and get my, you know, pump up in the morning and then do my checks with my coach and then make sure that I eat this meal at this time, you know, for five days leading up to the competition. Um, you know, when we've got all these like huge events where I'm actually going to be in hair and makeup at that time. And by the way, you've got a photo shoot for media day. Mm. So it is a whole Mm. different experience. And I think one of the things that, um, I certainly focus on is I try to do the work many weeks in advance. So it's still the, the preparation process, the principles of nutrition, the principles of the exercise and the programming for each of the divisions is going to be fairly similar between federations. Obviously, you know, there's some subtle differences between what fitness is in different federations and you prepare accordingly for your body composition. And that's all about the diet and exercise. I know we haven't talked about that at all. But, you know, as far as like how do you peak for a show like this, it really means that you've got to set yourself up so that, you know, you're coming into World Championships Week where you're not going to be able to make any more progress you're going to be in maintenance mode and you're just going to be holding steady for those five days um, so that you can go and enjoy, number one, you want to enjoy, if you're going to be spending a little bit more money than other federations, let's go have some fun and actually, you know, take part in the events and the the camaraderie. Um, So, yeah, I think that's one of the the key things that I found challenging as a scientist Mm. that likes to do everything like perfectly it just meant that I couldn't leave anything to chance and I had to get my butt into gear a little bit earlier. And the shows that I've done my worst, uh, the shows that I've left it too late and I was still trying to peak on the week of my show like I would if I was doing any other federation. And um, it was just really stressful and wasn't a pleasant experience. So, yeah, that's the main main difference for me. So you basically get your physique prepared based on what you see, generally what they're looking for in the categories, look at who the winners are. Mm-hmm. And then, but but that's only like 40% though. Mm-hmm. Now you've got to go up on stage and make it all look amazing. Make it look like you're maybe not hungry, not tired, mm-hmm. um, right? And you've got these amazing lights, this huge runway. And by the way, there's no set criteria for your poses. Mm-hmm. So now you need to get up on stage and do something. Mm -hmm. oh you're preparing for it we haven't even talked about posing that was the first year that I uh, did did this federation um my posing sucked I was still in IFBB mode I've got like my you know the hand on the hip type thing It, it just doesn't work like that so um, every year I've progressively gotten better. I've hired posing coaches. My, my posing coach last year was uh, Toby Harrison. He's awesome. Uh, and then the year before was Lynn Green and she's wonderful. She's actually located very close to me in Orlando. So it was great. I'd drive up and see her, uh, spend the day in Orlando and then drive back home. So, you know, you, you need to really focus on that because that is where the bulk of your judging is being done. Um, and if you're not confident, if you can't walk in giant heels with feathers attached to them, (laughs) um, and you're not sassy and sexy, which to me, like, I feel like I'm up there doing an acting show. So it's a lot like you're tired and hungry. Like you said, uh, you've been in hair and makeup, like at 4am and then you've been socializing all day. And then, you know, the next day you've got to get on stage and like, 
work these giant wings if you've got wings. So <laughs> you have to practice. Like this is not something that, and I mean, any professional sport, you've, you know, it's part of the criteria. It's a skill. So you need to practice. And I think that was one of the elements that I totally neglected for the first couple of years. Um, and have had to work on my sexy, which I just don't feel like that's naturally me. Like I'm a jokester. I I am a kind of a tomboy. I can dress up and look the part okay, I think. But uh, it's it's certainly a lot more work for me. Maybe then the beach, the, the bikini girls who, like I said, described them before. I'm like, these are like naturally just like gorgeous um they're they're just the personable person that you would assume can just get on a runway and walk like that they just do it so effortlessly so maybe if you're somebody that is not um you know super sassy or ready to to really step into your shoes and embrace being a feminine woman then maybe the other federations are a little better or if that scares you uh that you need to be that way um, you could, number one, let it be a challenge and, you know, use that as motivation to embrace your body and, you know, have that body positivity that we're all striving for. Or you can just go, no, nope, that's not for me. I just like the hard work in the gym and, you know, I'm good with 24 hours on the stage or it's probably more like 10 minutes and then I'm done. <laughs> I would have to agree with you that. So this sport is a physique based sport. Even if you're doing WBFF, you're, you're, you're still preparing your physique for the show, even if it's not scored, you know, hundred percent or 90% or even just, you know, 40%, you're still preparing your physique regardless. And if you're competing in the other federations, there still is that stage component. There still is you getting up on heels and two inches of fabric celebrating being judged by a whole panel of judges and an audience, by the way. Mm -hmm. And most of the people, and you know, I started actually coaching the posing and stage performance requirements 10 years ago in a gym that I owned. So it was a fitness facility I owned. And the women that would come to me were actually women who had never been on stage before. They were moms. They were, they had spent their entire life taking care of everybody else. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to do something great for themselves. The problem was they were competing in federations that weren't necessarily bodybuilding federations. So they had to do this whole performance where they weren't being scored individually, not in a group comparison round, but they had to be scored individually. So how do you take somebody who's probably never been on stage, maybe in the marching band when like, you know, <laughs> high school or fifth grade show and tell. So now your experience, I don't care who you are. Your experience is like, who is up on stage walking like a runway, right? Nobody. So I, I understand what, when it comes to getting up on stage, there is a whole performance requirement that goes into preparing for shows. And if you're not natural at it, mm -hmm. there has to be that much more preparation to get you up on stage. So mm -hmm. I can understand the women that have, and I've worked with them myself, and I've taken people who walk like a linebacker. And next thing you know, it's like, who's that? <laughs> you know, you're standing in the audience. It's like, I get goosebumps watching to see, wow, because I know where they started, but anybody mm -hmm. can learn this. And I know that this could be a big deterrent for people. And it's like, oh my God, I've got to have this, you know, thousand dollar theme wear and I've got to look hot and sexy and I'm just not that, but I really want to be, how do I go from that? You know, I want to be to completely slaying the stage. There is a process to that and anybody can do that. So I wanted to kind of encourage people too, and not scare you away that there are jet, there were techniques there are skills. There's a ton of development that can go into this, that you can be that if it's something that interests you and it can be a lot of fun. Now, let's talk about the men's divisions for a second. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have male, male model, which you talked about. Now, what, let's talk about the different men's divisions and what goes into preparation for them. Mm-hmm. So again, I guess similar to the female federation, uh, female divisions, we've got different levels of muscularity and then different, um, I guess, uh, bathing suits, posing trunks, what have you. <laughs> so um, I guess with the, the male model, um, these guys, they're able to come out and uh, I guess they're in their board shorts, I believe. Um, they're not judged from, you know, their thighs, their quads or anything like that. It's basically, again, there's a big element or a component that is your physical appearance. Um, and then, you know, your stage appeal, how well you dress, uh, those types of things. So the gentlemen get to come out in their board shorts and then they get to come out in, uh, I guess, a really nice suit. So the Federation is really about um, you know, glam, like glamorizing um, and making you marketable. So I really like and enjoy watching the men's uh, divisions actually because, you know, for a traditional bodybuilding, you're just coming out in their, their trunks. Um, you know, it's all about the level of muscularity in the IFBB. This gives the guys as well, I think, an opportunity to not only showcase their, their physique, Um, but you know, their style, like they, again, have complete autonomy over their suit selection. And, you know, you see some of these guys coming out in, you know, they've got the whole kit on uh, a great pair of really, um, you know, sharp looking sunglasses and some kind of tie, or, you know, it's, it's just a really cool uh, thing to watch. Like you don't really see male modeling like this. So We've got two different divisions um, where we've got a lower level of muscularity and then we've got uh, extremely more muscularity. Um, But And then the muscular guys, they get to wear, uh, I guess, their shorter trunks. They're more like a boy shorter, a boy leg. So then they are getting judged on, um, you know, the muscle definition, their their conditioning, you know, how lean they are getting, uh, their muscular size, Uh, And then there's obviously the posing element as well. And that kind of falls under that category of like your stage presence um, and your overall appearance. So I think that I've covered the most that as well as I can. Well, do they have a theme wear round? No. So the men, so there's no theme wear, but they have a suit round? They have a round where they come out and they wear a suit. And that's the same for both, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have one round where they're in like their one piece. And then second round is in the suit. Same thing with the muscle, muscle model category, which really the only difference is with muscle model, I believe is 60% physique and 40% marketability. So there's a little bit way more heavily on the muscularity. Absolutely. It's not drug. So this federation is actually not drug tested. I think people are really surprised to hear that. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I understand based on like the conditioning of some of the athletes like that I've competed against, like even as females, it doesn't surprise me um, because they are extremely lean, um, particularly like for the figure girls and even some of the fitness girls. Um, not that I've, you can say firsthand, yes, this person's openly admit that. Uh, it's just unfortunately still something that's not spoken of. And I I hope to be, I guess, the, the bridging gap and encourage people to be more transparent about this because, you know, there are safety concerns, but then there's also just 
being your authentic self and not like trying to encourage people to do these types of competitions, but not, not knowing the full story. Like, you know, this is a performance enhanced athlete, you know, let's get some really realistic expectations here. Mm. Um, because if people aren't sharing that information, then we're kind of setting others up who are looking on at these competitors that, oh, this is something that I should be able to do naturally. Um, and it's simply untrue. And, you know, for me, as somebody that has been a coach in the industry for, you know, 13 or more years, um, I've worked with athletes that have come from, um, you know, a performance enhancing background to coming off it because they don't want that anymore. I have seen the, uh, the downsides, the, the health consequences, the psychological uh, influence and a negative one at that that can happen um, with some of these. Uh, what, kinds of, what kinds of negative Oh, like physiological, um, you know, changes in their bodies. Um, you know, some of these negative effects of taking performance enhancing drugs are long lasting. Um, they can be, some of them are temporary, but they can change, like they can change your uh, shape of your jaw for a female. That's one of the first key signs that you tend to see with women that are taking it. Um, and again, it's just because you're able to I guess you're a stronger person. You clench more. Uh, there's more testosterone in your system. So like their whole facial structure can change. And a lot of those changes are due to the changes in sex hormones specifically. Um, we have an increased, um, you know, hair growth for females. You'll see a lot of women with extremely hairy, um, you know, bodies. There are some other, um, I guess, physiological changes to our anatomy uh, that I won't get too specific about, but you can uh, use your imagination there. Um, and they are permanent changes that will never be, you know, you can't go back. Um, yeah, I guess it, it puts a lot of pressure on your 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 body uh, when you are taking performance enhancing drugs. And I just think that the the risks and then also the potential downsides when you come off some of these, um, you know, there's the acute effect and then there's the um, the chronic effect. The acute effect of the you know taking something in the way that is like enhancing your endogenous production of various hormones um, is that your own endogenous production of you know testosterone and your other sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone. Um, they decline. Um, and if you don't taper or titrate those correctly with um, like, a, a, like a medical person, like a, an actual um, hormone expert um, or endocrinologist, you risk some pretty unfavorable changes. And that is because your body cannot then catch up to producing, you know, those same hormones as quickly as it was. There is a lag time in your natural uh, like synthesis. And that's when we see people putting on extremely like uh, large amounts of body fat in a very short time frame. Um, because there's just not enough time for the body to adapt back to the changes in these hormone productions. So I've seen women, and I remember one poor girl, I, I won't, won't mention her name personally, but she didn't tell me that she was, um, you know, using performance-enhancing drugs, and we were doing a reverse diet with her. So we're intentionally um, adding in calories over a period of time to see what we could get out of her, you know, endogenous metabolism, her metabolic rate. Um, and she seemed to be doing so well. I was like, wow, you know, we've been able to take your calories up over a relatively short time span. It was probably 10 weeks. We were able to get her calories up by like 800 or something like that, which is great. Me assuming she's a natural athlete. 
Uh, and that was with no other changes to her training. You know, it wasn't like she was doing more exercise to kind of compensate for the increases in energy intake. Um, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, every week consistently, seven, eight weeks in a row, weight gain, weight gain, weight gain. And in that short time frame, she put on like nine kilograms. So that's like 18 pounds, guys. It's a wow. lot of weight. And uh, finally, after, you know, several weeks, she sent me a video message and, you know, admitted, hey, I've been taking this, this, this. Um, I ran out of money to afford to continue buying it. Um, and it wasn't through her medical doctor. It was, you know, through a friend of a friend. I don't know where she was getting it from. Um, and she wasn't given the proper advice to, to stop taking it and just obviously she didn't have any money anymore to titrate her dosages down so that her natural um, production could catch up. And, um, yeah, it was just her, her body, it had, it had changed so significantly and it was, it was really sad. She was a beautiful girl and I mean, she's still a beautiful girl at heart, but like to see the emotional, like the psychological damage that came from that, because she didn't know, she wasn't informed. She didn't have the education, um, to, to do it the correct way. Was Um, she taking multiple compounds? Was she taking anabolics? Was she taking estrogen blockers? So she was, yeah. 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 So she was taking anabolics. I believe she was taking growth hormones, uh, testosterone, and she was being given, um, glenbuterol as well. So, Clenbuterol uh, is what for people take that for burning body fat. Be, isn't it supposed to be something like that? Yeah, so it, it speeds up your metabolism. I'd have to go and have a look at like the direct mechanism by which it works. It's been a little mm. while since I've read about that. Um, but I guess to summarize it very generally, it speeds up your production or your it increases your heart rate. Uh, it increases uh, vasodilation. It helps with nutrient delivery. Uh, it increases your core body temperature. Like you're just, you're operating at a much faster speed, um, which means that you expend more calories. So um, yeah, when you stop taking something that's like, it's an exogenous product, it's an exogenous compound that is speeding up your natural metabolism. Um, Yeah. When you take that away, it's, it has profound um, negative uh, results. So when she did her intake and she started training with you, she just just lied and said she wasn't taking anything. Yeah, I think and she you was couldn't about- see with like especially testosterone and the anabolics and stuff like that. There were no physical changes that you saw that might have been a lot quicker than that yeah, would have been so, with somebody who wasn't. Look, I've had a couple of women that I would I call them macronators. I have worked with uh, a range of different girls at various points in my career and. They have been, this is, it's going to sound crazy. So they were 63 to 65 kilograms and they were on 500 grams of carbohydrate, 95 grams to hundred grams of fats per day. Um, you know, they're, and they're not, they're not having to have a crazy amount of protein because we set that based on lean body mass. So that was still normal, but like, that is not something that I see every day. I, but I have had a, a handful of girls who are, they're, they're just, blessed with a fast metabolism now they 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 were doing a lot of uh, exercise like two of the girls that I'm thinking of they were they were they were professional athletes but they were athletes nonetheless they were competing for their state in netball uh, another girl was a, a soccer player she was trying out to get in you know the, the world I guess team um, she was a Brazilian uh, client 
And, you know, they were doing multiple, like that was their job. They were competing for many hours a day. But, you know, if we equate the total amount of time in a gym or on the field, their energy expenditure probably isn't that much more than I would expect from, you know, somebody that is just being very intentional with their cardio. They're going to the gym, doing the Stairmaster or they're doing their spin class and then lifting five times a week. So, I have seen people achieve amazing things and they're, it's just, you would never assume. And I think for this particular competitor that I was um, working with, she was still a novice and that's what peeved me right off because uh, she she hadn't even gotten the basics down pat yet. Mm. You know, this is her first year competing and whoever her coach was at the time you know, has put her straight into, you know, performance enhancing drugs. I'm like, let's just get the, like, learn a macro first. Mm. Let's learn about, you know, flexible dieting. Let's learn about an evidence-based approach to your training. Um, and let's work out and sort out your lifestyle. Like you're all over the place. Um, first and foremost, like we need to get those foundations right first before we go diving into, you know, potentially something that can be really dangerous and harmful long-term. So you don't really advocate in your business uh, performance enhancing drugs. You're really foundational with you better ha- teaching people about nutrition, teaching people about training, combining the two and really taking care of the health. So I give you the utmost like kudos for that because, you know, somebody who's been in the sport, I've been for 20 years. All I see at this point, the evolution, especially over the last like five to 10 years, the escalation of just the casual off roll off the tongue about performance enhancing drugs just oh you should take this or you should take this and and these are people in divisions like bikini you know ones that you know you can achieve success and an amazing physique from a natural standpoint but what do you consider natural holly so a lot of people have a different interpretation of what natural is so natural could trt for men could hormone replacement for women who have been through menopause or are those considered natural to you yeah, absolutely. If you are clinically, if you're, if you go and have your blood work done and your blood work comes back and shows you that you are clinically deficient or outside the normal reference range um, for that particular uh, hormone and you go and have a therapeutic dose, this isn't an exogenous dose that's going to take you to supra, you know, superficial levels. It's just getting you back within that normal reference range. Um because there is something inherently, you know, that's not quite balanced within your your body, I don't see that as somebody that is cheating or that is taking performance-enhancing drugs. And I'm going to put my hand up right now and say, like, I recently, and it was just in early December, for the first time in my life, I went and had my first uh, pellet for testosterone. Now, I was very reluctant to do this firsthand because I knew that there's going to be a stigma about it because there's not enough education out there about it yet. Mm. Um, I've actually organized uh, in a couple of weeks' time to head back to Clearwater and actually go and sit down and interview my uh, endocrinologist and my, she's, I guess, an OBG, um, and talk to, her, to talk to my audience about, like, let's look at the risks, let's look at the pros and cons, um, and let's get these people educated so they know what we're talking about because there is a distinct difference. So, yeah, um, TRT, a hormone replacement therapy for men and women, um, I don't think that that's a problem. But here's what I will say. I think people can be too quick to jump to those, um, you know, uh, measures. We're going through the, the medical route now before they've done the work on their lifestyle. 
And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to give up their lifestyle. So this is a quick fix. But if I have somebody come to me and they say, Holly, I am exhausted. I have been feeling like death for the last five years. I've been working with a coach that is an evidence-based coach. We've tried to get my calories up. You know, we're at a good place. I feel like I've tapered down the amount of exercise that I'm doing. I'm not trying to stress my body anymore. Like I have done, I've made changes to my lifestyle. I've got a therapist. I'm working on my psychology. I'm reading books about my mindset. Like I'm doing everything within my means to correct those and to to try to get these changes to take place naturally. When those things haven't worked, that's when I would say, okay, it's time. And maybe we do those concurrently for women, especially that are going through menopause. Like we know that this is going to happen. There's a natural decline in the production of those sex hormones. So it's so important to, you know, work um, collaboratively, you know, with their uh, endo, with their hormone therapist. And then uh, I work on the diet and the lifestyle intervention. So, yeah, I think it's sad that some people, you know, that are in a bikini division, um, you know, jump to that route. But I mean, it, the sport in general has become so competitive. Um, you know, the the girls that are winning the Olympia and the Arnolds, um, they are staying lean year round. Like they are competing at multiple shows, and the there isn't really any way to do that naturally um, and be happy or have any soul. <laughs> in my opinion, I mean. You're, you've competed, like the, the amount of negative symptoms of dieting if you're a natural competitor. Mm-hmm. There is no, like, that's one of the reasons why I stopped competing multiple times because I was like, well, I also have other obligations and priorities and responsibilities. I, you know, I moved from one country to another. That was a big deal for me. I was like, whoa, like that was stressful. Okay, I'm not really, it probably doesn't make sense for me to compete right now because of the routine and the rigidity um, that needed to come to be, you know, uh, to, to be at my best. Um, I moved into a lifestyle where I had two stepchildren. I had to be, uh, you know, a, a better, I'm now in a relationship where you're invested so wholeheartedly um, into making that family dynamic work. Yeah. And then now I'm managing four different companies and trying to be a professional, you know, physique competitor. Like, I had to do a lot of hard reflecting on this is my reality. Can I still be a top athlete? And that's one of the, that was one of the things that I had to let go of. It was like, okay, you got to let go of being so, you know, rigid and so hard headed on this goal. Um, maybe we can triage a little bit. Maybe we can first half of the year business, second half of the year competing all of the year family. (laughs) So, you know, you have to learn how to manage and, and, and juggle that. And that is why I think some people that we see are reverting to using these, um, you know, performance enhancing drugs that are artificially inflating their metabolisms so they can do it all because I cannot like, I know how hard I work as a natural competitor and then in my business and on just wanting to be a good person in general, you cannot do it all. And my role with a lot of my clients is just helping them like having been at the, having been at the top of the top um, for these sports in bodybuilding and seeing where the performance enhancing drug competitors are. I'm like, I have to manage their expectations of what's real and what's not. 
here's your lifestyle. If you care about your husband and you want to have date nights with him and if you want to be a good parent and show up to after school practice and also, you know, be there and um, in the mornings getting them ready and taking them to school, then you are going to have to make some sacrifices somewhere else in your life because we've all got the same number of hours in the day, but we've all got different responsibilities. And I hate it when I hear people say, we've all got the same 24 hours in the day, you know, like just make it a priority. It's like, well, actually, no, I am a single mom. I've got four children, which, you know, I didn't plan on not having a husband. And uh, I do have to work this many hours to you know, make ends meet. So some people just don't have the time to commit to getting to that level. So if they had the desire and it was a top priority for them, I can see where, you know, you'd want to dabble in that space. And I don't judge people for their decisions. I say, as long as it doesn't harm anybody else, you do what you want. But I hope that you do something that is going to be protective of you long-term. Like let's think longevity because some of these things that people want right now are not necessarily the best for them in their future. And, you know, I think it's really important for women especially to, you know, if they haven't done the work on their themselves. And I think, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but I think a lot of women get into the sport because there is this inherent feeling of inadequacy. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel beautiful. They don't feel sexy. And this is like the perfect opportunity for them to maybe work on that through their physical exterior. But you know what they haven't done? They haven't done the work on their psychology. They haven't done the therapy. They haven't tried to achieve that same feeling or sense of satisfaction in themselves by working on their mindset, by changing those dialogues, by working on that dysfunctional narrative that is so prevalent for females. So if I've got two options that are presented to me and they both make me feel really good at the end of the day, I love myself, I love my body, I love who I am, and I can choose the route of difficult bodybuilding <laughs> and changing the exterior, which may make you feel that way. And I can say, yes, it does. I feel pretty good when I'm really lean. You know, I get a lot of attention. It's like, whoa, that's really cool. But at the same time, I'm like, I can do this other work over here. I just got to read a book for that and then practice it. <laughs> like, that's a lot easier. So, you know, I try to incorporate all of those things. I think that, you know, there's value to having that broader picture, that broader vision of how I'm going to achieve the the purpose, like the why. Why am I doing this? And let's see if we can, you know, work around some of these more difficult like sacrifices that we have to make um, in efforts to feel good. And I think that for, for people that are listening, that are looking for contest prep, I think the fact that you, Holly, actually approach things from a longevity, a health standpoint, you also, you have the difficult conversations, you're open to it, to have the conversations about PED use. Uh, you also respect the fact that there is psychology to this and there is an emotional component to competing. And now let's talk about the, the expectations, you know, realistic expectations of this and, and touching on the things that you talked about. So I am also a lifetime natural athlete. I've actually never done any, anything, not even hormone replacement, nothing, everything for my 20 years of competing, coaching and yada, yada, yada has always been from that standpoint. And that's my journey. That's not other people's journeys. That's my journey. But I can say from what you said about when you're getting lean, 
I know from myself, because my division was always bodybuilding or and figure. So when you get to the point where you're competing in a division where it requires a substantial amount more leanness than other divisions, that experience for the show and the show prep is going to be a far different experience than a division that isn't looking for that level of conditioning. So I can say that there's a point that would happen when my body fat would get, I can always tell when it was to the point where it's like, eh, body's not too happy right now. So it changes something in the mind too. You're just off. You're just not Mm -hmm. quite there. There's just something different. The way you're thinking is different. You're tired. Um, I, I remember being out and, um, having a conversation with this lovely couple who I really liked. I haven't seen them in a while and they wanted to talk. And I just, it took everything I had just to have a conversation. So (laughs) just, and this was like two weeks out from a show. So I'm really lean now and it is taking its toll on my mind and my energy. And that's just a fact, like no matter what, especially as women, well, even men, you get your body fat down to that extreme level, your body is not going to like it. It's not going to feel good. It's going to change the way that you are in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this experience is also a hobby. So yes, you can do these things. It doesn't mean that you have to do them back to back to back. And I can understand what you're saying about seeing athletes that are competing year round and how they take, you know, taking substances to help them to do that. It's probably because it's more their career at that point. Whereas probably 90, what, 9% of the rest of us, it's, it's competing itself is not our career per se. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the hobby. It's the fun. It's part of our career in that maybe it influences other components of what we do in our everyday life. But we've got to be good in our everyday life too. Like you got to be, you're like, you're coaching how many clients? Like you. Right now I keep my coaching clients uh, at 40 as a maximum. And that's over two days. I do 20 clients on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to enable me to do other things and have those other priorities and goals. So that's where I'm at at the moment. And that's for, so that's 40 people that are relying on you that are well for, yes, paying for paying for this too, but you're providing them the psychology, the emotional support, like you get them and what their experience is like. You're, you have a, a, a passion and also a, um, a heart where you genuinely care and you want to see them do well. That's a lot of emotion. That's a lot of energy. How do you balance that yourself when it's like, okay, it's time for me to get ready for the world championships. And let's be real. I don't, (laughs) diva fit. Okay. Figure is like the ultimate in muscularity and conditioning. You diva fitness girls are lean. Yeah. You're not not showing up like, you know, with, with anything sagging. There is just, you are hard as nails. Yeah. Look, I think I want to, um, I want to go back and talk to talk to the audience about like the the negative symptoms of the diet. And again, I think this can all tie really nicely into like setting realistic expectations based on the individual and their current circumstances. So I think a lot of the things that people you don't see shared uh, as much or as often on social media are the negative consequences of dieting. And there are a number of physiological and psychological um, changes that can take place that you will probably have no idea about. And I think the first one that's really obvious from a physiological standpoint is the hunger. 
So at a certain point, there is going to be like, you just wake up and you expect to be hungry. So for a lot of people, that is really, really challenging. Now, if we add, you know, an individual that has suffered with, um, you know, some kind of psychological disturbance in their pastime, they've got some kind of trauma, um, they're currently dealing with something extremely stressful, uh, and they haven't developed other good coping systems, and food is the only thing that they're currently utilizing as, you know, a means of coping, um, that can become really problematic. And that's when we start to see people developing, you know, disordered eating, and full-blown true blue eating disorders. So that's a little bit of a worry for me. And, you know, before I, you know, start a client and a prep, there's a lot of screening involved in time that I want to spend with them first so that I can kind of say, you know what, you're a good candidate to be a competitor. Um, you might have the, the freedom and the lifestyle right now to, you know, execute the training and the diet, but let's have a look at everything else as well before we decide whether this is a good um, sport for you to do as a profession or it's a side hobby, side hustle, whatever, but like you just want to give it a go. So, you know, we've got to look at their, um, you know, psychology before we, we do that, because when you diet, you're going to get hungry. Our leptin levels are basically, um, which is our appetite regulating hormone. Um, it is produced primarily in our adipose tissues. So as we get leaner, as we lose body fat, as those leptin levels come down, that's when we start to experience that hunger and it gets worse and worse and worse the leaner you get. Now, um, if you're achieving like a, a bikini competitor, and I'm not going to talk about IFBB, you know, you're getting on the Olympia stage, um, they're getting shredded. They're going to be extremely hungry at that point. But for our federation, for WBFF, those girls do not need to get as lean. So is the hunger manageable? Yeah, probably. Um, so again, it's like federation dependent. That's why we've got to screen these people before, you know, they decide that they're going to do a competition for like how, what are, what are your normal limitations? What's the thing that gets you, holds you back the most? Like, are you a foodie? Because gosh, help you. Um, that's not <laughs> going to be a good sport for you if you like going out on the weekends and, you know, tasting five different share plates and eating cheese and drinking wine with your friends. That's me, by the way, it's really hard. <laughs> so, um, you know, hunger is the first thing we've got decreases in leptin hormone that are going to start, you know, that's kicks off the cascade of negative symptoms. Um, obviously our energy level is going to go down. So, you know, if you are a single person without children and you're not in a relationship that, you know, or you're not managing multiple relationships, friendships, even, um, it might be okay because your energy levels can drop and you're not needed to be there and you're not, no one's reliant upon you to be, you know, taking them to school or picking them up from school or going to after school activities or you're a surgeon or you're some kind of, you have a job that requires energy, personality, big, you know, like maybe you're a TV presenter, radio host, like that's not going oh God, to work. Can you imagine? I, oh, and, or <laughs> you're, maybe you're just an introvert in general. Like you're just forget about, you may as well just go, I'm not going to talk for the next eight weeks. So it's, you know, your energy levels are impacted and that can have a negative impact on your training, not only from a um, performance standpoint, once you've lost a certain amount of weight total, there's usually an inevitable amount of lean tissue that we're going to lose during that fat loss phase. So, you know, now your strength is negatively impacted and that can be psychologically very sad. <laughs> you know, it evokes that emotion of, oh, well, now I'm not even, you know, I'm not performing very well anymore. Um, 
And if you're an athlete of sorts, maybe you're trying to do two things at once, which I've certainly had clients like multitasking and doing two different sports. Um, maybe they need that energy for another sport. And I've got a little side side story here. Um, probably back when I was living in Australia, I got invited to do a guest uh, boxing match. So I trained up for this boxing competition, which was a charity event. Um, and the meet day, the day that I got in the ring and fought another woman and was punching this person and expected to be like thriving athlete. I was two weeks out from my uh, figure competition and I was on like 1200 calories that week. And I remember just being like, what am I doing? (laughs) So like, that was really, really hard. It was, it it all turned out. It was great. It was a lot of fun. We raised a bunch of money, but (laughs) I have a very important question. Did you knock her out? (laughs) No, I didn't KO. No. Oh, come on. Come on, Holly. (laughs) I ended up like dinging it. We we were both winners. We were both winners. Oh, that's too funny. Can you imagine? Oh I'm, my sitting God. Here, I'm sitting here looking at you in the ring, boxing. <laughs> oh what God, on go, earth are go, you doing? Let's go to YouTube and Google Holly T. Baxter boxing charity event. Oh, that's oh, hilarious. <laughs> Weren't you Sorry. afraid you'd show up on stage with a black eye? I was a little. We, we did get to wear headgear. That's the <laughs> okay. only difference between the men's <laughs> charity events and the women's. We got to put a fat mask on. But I still could have had a broken nose. But I guess it shows you I was confident. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Oh, Sorry. my God. You imagine the broken nose on stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, so here yeah, you look, are, two weeks out from two show, weeks. you're doing a boxing match. Somehow you were able to pull it off. Yeah. So, I mean, your your energy levels are crappy. And, I mean, you've got to give consideration to your job, your occupation, whether you have family, children, um, you know, who do you have to show up for? Because if it's just yourself, it's a lot easier than showing up for multiple other people. So again, set that realistic expectation when you are deciding if it's something that you actually want to do, or even if it's not getting on stage and I aspire to look like this, that doesn't matter. You're doing the same thing. It's just mm. the competitors might take it a little bit further. So we've talked about uh, losses in strength. We've talked about losses or decreases in energy. We've talked about extreme hunger. Now uh, let's look about um, some of the psychological uh, changes. So it it can impact your uh, mood and your, I guess, uh, temperament. Um, There's been plenty of case studies and research studies that have looked at uh, all of the different um, changes throughout a contest prep. And if we look at some of the psychological scoring systems, I can't tell you or recite the the exact one off the top of my head, but they basically look at, um, you know, uh, rage, anger, sadness, depression, anxiety, um, you know, meaningful, um, uh, how you feel about your relationships and your connection with other people. All of those things move in a negative direction when you're competing because your body is trying to fight um, your fight the calorie restriction that you were instilling on it. Um, it's great from an evolutionary standpoint because you know back when we didn't have a plentiful supply of food and we were you know we 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 didn't have this like abundance of food available to us. If we needed it, it was our body's way of slowing us down. Our bodies adapt. We change to compensate for that reduced energy uh, availability. Um, But when we're trying to do that for a sport, it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, you don't want to be motivated. You're not, um, you're not happy. You're starving. You're thinking about your next meal. So there are a lot of um, negative side effects or symptoms, I should say, of dieting from a psychological standpoint. I would say you're irritable, moody, depressed, low motivation. These are things that people that 
maybe they're doing their selfie videos on Instagram and they're taking their photo shoot pictures and putting them up. They're not telling you that I wanted to die or I wanted to be in bed just resting or all I was thinking about was a pizza or a burger. Like you don't see that all the time. It's not as glamorous and, you know, fun as it's made out to be. And I think it's important to share that with whoever you're living with. could be partner, spouse, whatever. If you're in a relationship and you are going to be doing a show, the things that Holly's talking about, it's really important that they understand that, you know, the hot mess express that you're going to be when you start dialing in for a show and when you get to the point where it might not be super fun for them and you might be a little bit intolerable. So it may be important for you to remember that they love you and they're putting up with you. So don't be a jerk. Yes, absolutely. I would say someone asked me, should I, what I feel like I need the motivation and support from my partner. Should I, uh, should we do it together? And I was like, no, Oh dear. you got to have someone in the household that can pay the bills and that can, you know, pick up when, uh, you know, one of you is feeling really down. So I'd say, as a general rule of thumb, um, probably not the best thing to do together with somebody. Uh, I've definitely had that conversation with my ex-husband at times and we were like, no, I think we'll just do one of us at a time. This is good. Um, sorry. And I have heard coaches actually promote PEDs to their athletes because they said it's easier to compete with them. Have you heard oh, that? I- Yeah, absolutely. It is. Well, it's artificially elevating your um, metabolism. So think about this. Um, I can look at, and I've been in the room and competed on stage with other competitors that are on PEDs and we're all chatting about our calorie intakes. It's like, oh, what are your macros this week? Or what were they when you've been training and how much are you doing? So we're basically comparing like energy balance and calorie intake and food intake. Um, people that are on PEDs like are like notoriously going to have a thousand calories more than you are. So I'm down struggling in my last two or three weeks of prep at 1200, 1100, um, with 58 kilos of lean mass, which is nothing. So, you know, I'm right on the bottom end of my calorie floor where it becomes unsafe, you know, where I'm risking my, you know, my health because I'm not getting the vitamins and minerals that I need to function. They're having a party at 2000 on their peak week. So it's it's a substantial difference Mm. in like plating up a meal. Like, sure, your body's lean. You feel a little fatigued. You might start to get a bit irritable, but you're also sitting down to significantly more food. So even looking at that from the perspective of preparation of your food and meals, I know for me when I'm on 1,100 calories, I'm like – happen to every single meal or like the night before bed, I'm going to have to like map out what food, what food am I going to eat tomorrow that I know is going to satiate me. So I'm not starving. Mm. That also is psychologically satisfying. It's giving me that pleasure when I eat it as well. Um, and then I've got to fit it in with my job and the kids and like having a relationship. Like there's so much more planning that's involved um, for a low calorie diet than there is a high calorie diet. You know, if I was taking steroids or some other kind of performance enhancing drug, I could probably just eat what I wanted because I don't have to plan. Like that gives you back flexibility. That's less time, um, you know, that you're spending on meal prep. So that in and of itself is a huge component of where your time goes when you're a competitor. I definitely have to agree with that. There is there is a certain level of pain tolerance that you have to have. So if you're waking up and you're hungry and you you have to you have to learn to deal with that. And mm-hmm. 
yes, it's easier to compete. I, I mean, I can't talk from personal experience, but from, from just the sheer fact that you can eat more, your energy levels are going to be better. Just everything, the experience is going to be better, but at what cost? Yeah. So you could either do that and make the experience easier, or you can have the experience and, and just know and have the expectations that it's going to get to a certain point and be a certain way and just be with that. And you have to be able to learn how to build that pain tolerance, kind of like you do in the gym. You know, at some point, if you want to be great and you want to get stronger, it's not going to be from doing just a little bit of some repetitions here or there, you're going to actually have to put some load on that and maybe breathe through the pain a little bit. What is pain? Well, pain is how much can you tolerate? When do you have to actually stop? I mean, obviously if you're, if it collapses on you, I mean, that's its own thing, but I'm <laughs> yeah. saying, let's talk. I mean, the easiest one is like a leg extension. You know, people, people get to a certain point. That's just, just a quick little analogy. You do like a leg extension and you get to the point where it starts to suck. And most people might stop. Ouch. That hurts right? Versus, okay, it starts to suck. How much more do, can I hang? Okay. Now it really sucks. Now it's like, oh my God, I, oh my God. That's all I can say is, oh my God. <laughs> and then it, and it, like, it gets to that point, but can you sit with that? Oh my God feeling? Can you, can you breathe through the oh, ouch yes. to the, oh my God. So that's the pain tolerance that you can learn to achieve when you're training, but can you learn to achieve it when you're dieting? Holly, how do you help people with that? I turn a lot of people off doing competitions and I turn a lot of people on to working on ways to achieve their why for wanting to compete in the first place through other revenue, uh, sorry, through other uh, avenues. Um, so again, I think it is managing expectations and then, um, you know, I, it's a collaborative decision. Um, I will decide with the client what makes sense. And usually there's a whole lot of time blocking. Let's look at your schedule. Okay. You've got kids. Let's put everything on the calendar. Let's work out where where have we got time to train and then where have we got time for the other things that are important to you. Maybe it is, you know, your feelings of social connectedness are important. They are for me. Uh, I like to see my friends every week. Um, you know, that that makes me feel good. Um, so I'm, I'm going to plan three meals out over the course of the week. Where are they going to fit? Like time locking is critical. So that's kind of like step number one in even deciding whether, you know, how much, how much time do I have to, to apply myself to the training? How much time do I have to apply myself to the nutrition and everything that goes into that? Um, and then that helps me manage the time frame that it's going to take for us to get to that goal. And that looks very different from one person to the next. So, you know, if they are, if their aspirations are to get onto the stage, then we're looking at, okay, as a coach, I can look at somebody and kind of pretty quickly recognize, all right, we need to lose 30 pounds. Okay. We only need to lose 15 pounds. It could be a hundred. Um, and then I basically do a big back back calculation. I'm looking at, okay, what are the safe and effective routes um, for fat loss? We know that anything greater than say 1.5% of your body weight in a seven day period, that is when we start to sacrifice lean tissue losses. We're no longer actually losing weight from body fat. So let's not do that. So I've got to work out for that individual. Okay. What is it as a percentage of their body weight? Um, what can we target every week? And then we've got to work out how many weeks is it going to take for them to lose that amount of weight. Uh, and then we've also got to apply the other science that we know, which is, you know, we need to incorporate some periods at maintenance or a diet break, um, which is exactly as it sounds. We're taking your calories back to a place that 
maintains your weight for a week. Um, and the research has very clearly demonstrated that if we compare a dietary intervention that is continuous in nature versus one that incorporates these multiple diet breaks for somewhere between 4 to 14 days um, you know, at a time, the uh, end result is that we get greater total body weight loss and we get greater total fat loss. So as a percentage of the weight that's lost, we're retaining a much greater amount of lean tissue than we are um, uh, losing it when we implement those breaks. So we've got to add time in for those too. So, you know, that helps me set realistic expectations for somebody when they're like, I want to look like her. What or percentage maybe- of people come to you and say, I want to look hot in the bikini and I can totally do this. this. I've seen this thing on Instagram all these hot girls and I want to be popular and cool too, just like yeah, in high I can't school. Do that. I can't change that. <laughs> <laughs> How many of them come to you and they want to, and they think that the sport may be, um, maybe a lot more achievable than it might really be for people. I think, I, well, look, a lot of people come to me with that as their aspiration. Of course. Um, they, one of the things that I like asking my questionnaires is like, okay, if you've got a picture of the ideal physique that you like, send it to me because my ideal, uh, for a female's body and what we would be striving for as like your best you could be extremely different to what you envision as like your ideal body and your best you. Like we could be miles apart. So I think sometimes having that visual, um, you know, reference could be helpful. Um, it, so yeah, I think there's a lot of them that will come to me and that's their goal. And I would say, I think just because of the personality that I am and I'm very open, um, you know, on social media and my YouTube about, you know, my struggles, I had an eating disorder for 15 years and that's why I'm so passionate about looking at alternate avenues to achieving a sense of like contentment in yourself. Mm. Um, but you know, I think because of that person, I seem to attract a lot of people that are very, they're very um, ambitious. They're very driven and they might be very busy. So again, it's just me, you know, pushing them when they can be pushed and then managing their expectations and helping them to become more compassionate versions of themselves in weeks where they've got a lot going on. They've got two kids homesick from school. They're, they're sick. They're meant to be presenting at some science conference in a week's time and they've just had a family death. <laughs> like, you know, I'm the person there that is trying to elevate them when they can be and pull them down and hold them back when they need to take a break and they need somebody in their lives to be that person for them. So I work with all kinds of people. It's it's crazy. And I don't know that I've ever had one fat loss experience or reverse dieting experience that's ever been the same. There's we can generalize, mm-hmm. but you know that's that's um, you know why we have a bell curve in science. We've got a scatter plot of data that's everywhere, uh, and people's experiences are going to be different. So I think you know we can. There are some phenomenal scientists out there, and I respect their work uh, wholeheartedly. But I, I also have to come from this other side where I've got the practical experience of working with real life people and my minimum coaching term is 24 weeks. So I get to I get to be with these people every single week for half of a year. And then my average client lifespan is 18 months. So I I am like best friends with these people by the end. I know everything about them. And it makes it so much easier when you have that connection to be able to be really transparent and, you know, have those hard conversations. And there's going to be times where, you know, I can say, look, you're, you're slacking. Like you could have done so much more this week and you chose to make this other decision and that's okay. So I'm here to tell you, this is why we didn't get this result this week. Um, so 
yeah, I get a lot of women and a lot of men as well um, that need that kind of handholding. And some of the times I've given them as much knowledge as I can give them. Like I've literally taught them everything that I know and they're very, you know, intelligent people. They're very um, successful people. But sometimes, you know, you, you just end up being there as an accountability person, as somebody that is um, helping to identify their behaviors, helping them to be, you know, I'm a lens that they don't see through. So I can give them some feedback, um, you know, that they might not be privy to. It's like, I need a coach too. Sometimes I've had a coach at times for different Mm. things in my life because you tend to get a little bias when it comes to yourself. So, you know, I always say every coach needs a coach and I think everybody needs a psychologist. That's a lot of responsibility. It, it, it really is, especially with contest prep and getting people to down to levels of, of leanness and conditioning and, and just all of that. And do you feel that your experience competing with the WBFF might have helped elevate your um, ability to grow your business? I, I asked because on the website, they do talk about how they provide the most opportunities within the fitness industry and beyond. Have you found this to be your experience? Um, no. I would say they give you a lot of opportunities to do some things that you may have never done before. And I think that's wonderful. And you we were talking earlier about, you know, um, getting some, or taking somebody from, you know, they're a tomboy, they've never been on a stage, they've never been in a bikini in front of anybody, you know, outside of their friendship circle. So I think if you are somebody that would and has the desire to build your confidence to learn to love yourself um, and to learn learn to apply discipline maybe you've been somebody that's never really been consistent with exercising before like the experience of you know that particular federation and competing it can be incredible it can grow you as a person in more ways than just growing muscle like a bodybuilding federation um so that's one of the things that I love about it. Um, and I would encourage anybody that, um, you know, wants to to do it, to give it a go. But you've got to set realistic expectations, um, you know, within that context. So you haven't really found it to have elevated your ability to grow a business or expand on the business or anything like that. It's kind of been something just more for you. part of your personal journey rather than your business journey. Here's how I would say it has helped my, my business in my normal day-to-day life. I'm not a girly girl and I'm not somebody that would just casually get photo shoots and uh, would go and, I don't know, be on a magazine cover and I would never thought I would be on social media. Um, So I think in many ways it's made me step outside my comfort zone because the competition itself that is when I kind of capture my physique and I do photo shoots. I would not do those. The, the years that I take, have taken off, so in 2020 and uh, 2018, I did not compete. And guess what? I didn't do photo shoots in those years because I didn't personally have the motivation because it's not my normal personality. So it has made me, it has forced me to do something that I know is positive Um, because I would never have had the opportunity to create the business that I have now. I can use those photo shoots for marketing purposes. I can reach more people. I can, I can help women with so many different things now because of the Federation, not directly, but indirectly. And sure, I use their um, hair and makeup artists. I use a lot of their photographers to do uh, some of my photo shoots. So they have 
put me in a position where I could access that, where maybe for some other people, they've not had any connections in those industries. So I'm, I've kind of gotten to the point now where I've realized the, the value of doing photo shoots, of, um, you know, taking video and, you know, being up on stage, you know, it's helped me with my presentations when I'm talking at scientific conferences, you know, like, okay, if I can get up on stage in a bikini, I can get up on stage and talk about science. Like I do this every day. (laughs) That's easiest for me. So yes, it helps my business. I think that it is a strategy that I will continue to do for my business. Um, Do I need it? No, but it motivates me to get so get the work done that I might not otherwise do if I was left up to doing it on my own. Like, and to the day I've, I've probably done two photo shoots outside of competitions that um, I've used for marketing. And it's just because I get so engrossed in writing or reading or coaching or, you know, doing that in-person stuff that I, and I like that too. So I am not as focused on getting the, the, you know, the kind of, movie star lifestyle like it's just that's not what I would normally choose to do so but what are your upcoming competition plans and goals Holly um I'm gonna do worlds this year I took a very calculated risk last year of coming in softer because uh just to put some of the commentary that was made about um you know seeing some of these other federations um and seeing some of the negative you know health consequences of women you know we've had a death in other federations uh, because of the PED use, we've seen a lot more. Uh, unfortunately, that happening in you know the male bodybuilding categories. There's been a lot of really uh, influential, um, you know, male pros um, that have passed away, and yeah. um, you know it can't be directly related to the drug use, but it's just a lot of stress on the body for that long. So, I I came in softer, and that was a regret because again, as the subjective sport that it is. The eye is naturally drawn to the leaner competitor on stage. You know, someone, if you've got beautiful, um, if you've both got great outfits and you're both gorgeous um, and then it comes back to the body composition, I was softer, I lost out, did not do me any any good. So I want to come back and I think this is my year. I feel like I am in a new place um, spiritually. I'm in a new place personally, like with my relationship um, I just feel like I have grown so much that I, I just have had a new lease on life. I, um, found faith. I have never been a spiritual person. And in 2021, I think it was, I started going to church and that has been like a big transformation for me. So there are a lot of things in the pipeline that I'm excited about from a bodybuilding standpoint. Um, but also how I know that that's going to have a positive effect on my business and on the people that I'm working with and their quality of life, longevity, health, you name it. So well, I can't yeah. wait to see what theme wear you end up with this year. That is probably the, the most sought after photos. Can't wait to see what that's going to be. I think it's going to be something. In, here's the thing. I've always loved Jasmine from Aladdin. Oh boy. I, I love those colors. Yeah. So that's the what turquoise. I, you're, you're the first person I've, yes, you're the first person I've told this. So I'm well, now everyone's going to know. <laughs> so but they don't I know the like, specifics. So you'll pull no, it off. No, I think that's, that's the color palette that I'm going to go with this year. So. <laughs> well, that's going to be fantastic. So that's worlds that you're getting ready for. You also have your all female coaching business venture called Holly Baxter LLC. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So that's really exciting. I um, stepped away from my other company, which was male and female coaches and more just, just nutrition, just um, exercise science. And again, just seeing the, the deficits in the coaching like as a coach, uh, I knew that my like my role and my purpose in life is to connect the dots and you know fill those big gaps that are gaping to me, um, so that we have a more holistic approach to people's you know health and wellness. So that team I launched this year, like literally a couple like two weeks ago, um, the girls started, and over the Christmas holiday period, I must have interviewed a hundred coaches. We've got a new team manager, director of operations, new videographer there. She's here with me right now. We've done two days back to back of filming, and uh, that that group of girls, I they they inspire me. Um, I I got I remember getting off the interviews um, and just being like wow, I just literally just got goosebumps. Like there's just so much opportunity to help other women. And that the mantra for that company um, is, you know, it's a company built by women uh, for women. So my goal is to expand beyond just, we've got a chiropractor, a physical therapist, um, we've got exercise scientists, dietitians, personal trainers. Um, I'd like to move into MD and uh, hormone um, replacement therapy because a lot of the women that I'm working with are moving into that space. You know, I'm 33, but many of my clients are in the 50s. Mm. So I want to be able to have something under the one roof that um, it feels easy. You know, you don't have to ring around 15 different clinics and trying to get into somebody. So that is really cool. Uh, and then I have my coaching team that I'll be taking to world. So I'm so excited about that. Like I'm going to be competing and doing a little bit of coaching myself, but my team will handle a lot of that, but that's going to be a really fun experience. So Holly, that is just so exciting. You have a lot going on. Sounds like you're in a really great place. You've got the world championships coming up. You've got it all, all come looking forward to this year. You know, where can the audience who might want to follow you in your journey throughout this, uh, where can they find you? Absolutely. On social media and so yeah. uh, Instagram. I am most active on Instagram and YouTube. So my platform name is the same. It's just Holly T Baxter. Um, you can find my coaching team at Team Holly Baxter, and then um, all of the links to my products and services, right down to my nutrition coaching app, my coaching platform, which is the Workout Builder, all of my books, all of that stuff. Uh, it's it's all it's all going to be on that link in Instagram. So. Yeah, Holly, it has been an absolute pleasure. I will be watching and looking forward to seeing what you come up with for the WBFF World Championships. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today to talk about the Federation. Again, I feel like a lot of people, they get into the sport, they have no idea what the various options are for them. So I started this series where I'm highlighting the different federations and I'm bringing people on such as yourself who have a really great knowledge about the Federation so we can have conversations and give just a full perspective on the Federation itself. And then you were so generous to also offer some information for the audience. We went a little bit longer today, which I'm, I'm grateful for because I think the audience is going to love to learn a little bit more about, you know, contest prep and expectations. So, you know, thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge today on in that arena and also the WBFF. So once again, if you want to find Holly Baxter on Instagram, it's Holly T. T. Baxter on Instagram. Yep. All right. Thank you, Holly. Look forward thank to seeing you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been awesome. <laughs> Ever wonder if you are posing correctly for your division? Learn to Pose is dedicated to taking out the guesswork on how to pose for all categories in bodybuilding. Learn five ways you can improve your posing skills in five minutes guaranteed at www.learntopose.com. 
are free posing tutorials available for the bikini, figure, and men's physique categories, and more on the way for other divisions in bodybuilding. It's free, so go access your free posing tutorial for bikini, figure, or men's physique at learntopose.com.